You're listening to the Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny. Hello, Goldberg. this is Lenny Goldberg, and thanks for joining me today. It's the summertime, and in the summertime, that's when I make my parnasa, because I have a inflatable company, bouncy houses, moonwalks, and this is the time of year when people order that. I run from this event to that event, all these kaitanot, all the summer camps for the kids, and I'm going from place to place. This is my time of year. And during the summer, most of my work is in Judea and Samaria, especially in this area in Samaria. I'm from Tapuach. I go to Yitzhar, I go to Harubracha, Itamar, Lan Morei. That's where a lot of my work is. So yesterday, I had a job in Yitzhar, two water rides. And while I was setting it up, I saw Rav Yisrael. He's a young man, a big Talmud Chacham. And he gives a shiur every Thursday night, which I attend. And this past Thursday, the shiur was canceled. So I saw him and I asked him, what happened? Why did you cancel the shiur? And he told me that, well, his brother-in-law, he was shot in that terror attack at the Ellie Junction at uh, the gas station a couple of weeks ago. He was wounded, his brother-in-law. And so it was his turn to stay with him in the hospital. And I was thinking, oh, wow, that's one of the people who were wounded. I mean, I knew four people were murdered there and all about that. I forgot about the ones that are wounded. The radio says they were wounded lightly, wounded moderately. So here's a fellow. He was probably in the category of somebody who was wounded lightly or moderately. And he's going to be in the hospital for six months before he can walk normally. He lost an inch or two off the bone of his leg. He was shot in the leg. And so that's just something you're never going to hear about unless you know the people who were hurt or you know their relatives. We just hear about the ones who were murdered and we hardly remember them. What about the ones who were wounded and maimed and those wounds stay with them for life? Okay, so I folded up the job and on the way back, I go through Hawara again, that den of vipers and snakes. And as I'm driving through, I see a soldier with his gun pointed, very alert, and he's all alone. I mean, he's got two slabs of concrete surrounding him, but he's just standing there alone in Hawara. Maybe there's another soldier 100 meters from him and there's maybe some jeeps patrolling around. But I felt bad for this soldier. I mean, he's more of a mark than I am. At least I'm passing through. He's just standing there with his gun and he looked kind of nervous, to tell you the truth. And I don't blame him. I mean, what is the solution for all these Arabs in Khawara and the rest of these villages? And what's the solution for Jews who get shot at? The settlement leaders are calling for more army and more roadblocks. What are you going to do? Put a soldier on guard there every 20 meters of road? It's ridiculous. And like I said, the soldiers are more of a target than we are. And so again, the settlers are calling for more of an army presence, more machsomim, more roadblocks, checkpoints, more curfews to restrict Arab traffic, as if it can really control the Arab population. And at the end, you just end up looking like some British occupying force. It really starts to have that feel. Like we're some occupation army trying to control you know, the civilian population. Is that what God wants? Is that how it's supposed to be? In the state of Israel, returning after 2,000 years, is that the way it was in the first temple and second temple period? Is that the way God wants it? What is God's plan? What's the program? What's the law concerning the nations who dwell within the land of Israel, who are hostile in the land of Israel? What are you supposed to do? Well, that's exactly what this past week's Shabbat Parsha was talking about. We read all about it the other day in Shul. If anybody was noticing, the Torah gives clear answers. It's all mentioned at the end of Parshat Masay, where the verses explain clearly the obligation 
to expel the inhabitants of the land. Before the Jews enter the land, God gives us instructions what to do with the inhabitants of the land. After all, when Joshua and his army entered the land, there were nations here, the seven nations, the Canaanite nations. What are you supposed to do with them? So the Torah doesn't play games. It says so. It says like this in the book of Bamidbar, chapter 33, verse 52. And you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. The word to drive out is horashtem. What is the meaning of the word horashtem? So Rashi says, Maza horashtem, girashtem. You shall expel. Meaning you shall expel all the inhabitants of the land. And then a few verses later, the Torah warns us, And if you do not expel the inhabitants of the land, Those who remain shall be sikim be'enechem. There will be thorns in your eyes and thickets in your sides, and they will give you tsuris, they will trouble you in the land, on the land that you dwell in. And what I thought to do to them, I'll do it to you. That is, if you don't throw them out, then you're going to get thrown out. Like we got expelled from Gush Katif and Northern Shomron. If it's not done to them, it's going to be done to you. So these are explicit verses in the Torah, point blank, instructing us what we should do about the nations in the land of Israel who live here. Now, besides the verses, you have the commentary on the verses. And I want to read some of these commentators who understood so well the problem of not expelling the hostile inhabitants from the land. On the verse, and you shall expel the inhabitants of the land, and dwell in it, for to you I gave the land to inherit. What does Rashi say about the verse, Horashtem et Aretz, and you shall expel the inhabitants of the land? Horashtem otam you shall dispossess it from its inhabitants. Va'az yashaftem and then you shall dwell in it. V'tuchlulit ke'emba, and you will be able to live there. V'imlo, that is, if you don't expel them, lo tuchlulit ke'emba, you won't be able to live in it. There won't be any kiyum. It won't last. Why? Because there are going to be thorns in your eyes. The great commentator of the Sforno on the same verse is the following. When you burn out the inhabitants of the land, burn them out, he says. He doesn't say transfer. He doesn't even say expel. When you burn out the inhabitants of the land, then you'll merit to inherit the land for your children. You'll be able to pass it down to further generations. But if you don't burn them out, even though you conquer the land, you will not succeed in inheriting the land for your children. So both Sforno and Rashi are saying the same thing, that the number one priority is to expel the inhabitants of the land, not to live amongst them. If you do that, it's not going to last. That's what they both say. It's not going to last. Because there'll be thorns in your eyes. They're going to grow. And they're going to get chutzpahdik. It won't endure because they left all that drek in the land of Israel and it's going to come back to haunt you. And that's exactly what we have today. So we see here that the mitzvah of settling the land is really only dependent on the ability to drive out the nations. Let's bring another commentator, Orachayim. Orachayim, you know, when you say Orachayim, you always say Orachayim HaKadosh, the holy Orachayim. What does he say about these verses? 
on the part of the verse where it says, and they'll give you tzuris in the land, they'll trouble you in the land, what does he say? Not only will they hold onto the land that you didn't merit to conquer, but even the parts of the land that you did conquer, and you dwell there, they're going to give you trouble in that land. They're going to say, get up, get out of here. That's the Orachayim HaKadosh with Ruach HaKodesh. He's explaining exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll conquer parts of the land. We'll have Tapuach and Gush Etzion and Efrat. But the parts of the land that you did not conquer and you left those Arabs there, they're going to say to you eventually, Kumu, Tsubikan, get up and get out. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the Orachai proves through the verses that the mitzvah isn't to dwell in the land, but it's to expel the inhabitants of the land. That's the mitzvah. And he learns it out from the verse in chapter 33, verse 52 in Midbar Midbar. And you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land. And you shall dwell there. Because I gave you the land to inherit. It doesn't say, I gave you the land to dwell in it. No, I gave you the land. And so the Orchayim is saying, is the mitzvah. Is the promise that if you do the mitzvah of throwing out the inhabitants of the land, then you'll be able to yashavtemba to dwell in the land. That's why the verse is in that order: first expulsion, then you dwell, like Joshua did. He conquered Jericho, he conquered Jericho, and I and Jerusalem, and then we dwelt there. He didn't set up a settlement in the midst of a sea of Canaanites, but that's what we're doing now. We're setting up these settlements in the midst of Yishmaelites and expect that somehow it's going to work out. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't set up settlements, but the goal, the ultimate goal at the end of the day is to is to disinherit the inhabitants of the land. That's what we should be aspiring for. Unfortunately, rabbis and settlement leaders, they talk about coexistence with the Arab neighbors. That can't be. You can't have coexistence with these thorns and thickets. Can things be any clearer than that? Everything these commentators are talking about is happening today. So in so many ways, you know, this approach is so opposite of what we do today. What happens when an Arab murders a Jew? What do we do? We say, we got to have another settlement. We got to build more settlements. The Torah is saying that settling the land will only succeed if you expel the nations. We're getting killed now because we're not fulfilling the nasty side of the mitzvah of Yeshuvah Aretz, the ugly side. What's that side? The part of expelling the inhabitants. But that's the prerequisite to settle the land of Israel and enduring in it. And so by saying, we have to build another settlement. Yeah, that's nice. But it's not the answer to the Arab thorns and thickets and murderers who live here. The Torah is saying, no, another issue is not the answer. Expelling the nations, that's the answer. And I want to bring once again the Orachayim on these verses. You know, a lot of people including rabbis, especially rabbis, they'll say, I know it's written in the Torah, you got to expel the inhabitants of the land and all that. There's a mitzvah to drive out the nations. But that's talking about the seven Canaanite nations. That's what many people say, that these verses in the Torah are specifically referring to the seven Canaanite nations. It's not applicable to today. That's what people say. You know, anytime you have a mitzvah that sounds a little harsh, 
what doesn't jibe with our Western culture, then it's not for today. It was for then, it was for those days, but not for today. Suddenly it's not for today. Well, that's why I want to bring the Orachayim, what he says on the verse, Vahorashtim et Aretz, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land. He says like this, Hagam Shamar Ketuv B'Sheva Amamin, regarding the seven nations, the seven Canaanite nations, what verse relates to them? He brings a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 20. It says, When you're talking about the seven Canaanite nations, the halacha, the law is, you got to kill everybody. Don't leave any neshama alive. That's talking about the seven nations. And therefore, in our verse, where it says you have to expel them, this verse has to be talking about anybody other than the seven nations because we already have the law that pertains to the seven nations. So this imperative to drive out the inhabitants of the land, it's for all nations, the Orachim says. And he continues, What does the verse say? You have to disinherit at call your all the inhabitants of the land. What does that mean? Even those who aren't from the seven nations. So that takes care of all those who want to say that these verses here are only relevant to the seven nations and not for today. The Orachayim comes along and says, no, these verses are for all nations and for all times. You know, many times when something happens in the news or in history, people will refer to the Tanakh to find in the verses something that relates to that event. Like, for instance, after this idea of helicopter crashed in a settlement, Shari Yeshuv, People found the words Shah Yeshuv in the Parsha or after Rabin was executed. They saw Esh Esh in that Parsha or people find references to the Holocaust in the verses. And usually it's not that explicit though. You got to do like a Gamatria. You got to do these Dilugim, use Kabbalah. So why doesn't anybody ever say, hey, exactly what the Torah says is happening. It says there'll be thorns in your eyes. There are thorns in our eyes. It says if we don't throw them out, we're going to get thrown out. The Torah says that the inhabitants we leave in the land, they'll give us trouble. And that's happening every day. Why don't people say what they say about those other events? Why don't they say here? It's right here in the Torah. And in this case, you don't have to use gematrias. You don't have to do these skippings, these dilugim. You don't have to use Kabbalah. It's right here, explicit verses telling us what's going to happen. You know why people don't do it? Because if you see something in the Torah that refers to, let's say, the Holocaust, or the helicopter crash. After it happens, ah, here it is in the Torah. How comforting. It's all in there. It's all written. But if you say, hey, the Torah is telling us what's going to happen if we don't throw out the inhabitants of the land. Well, that's already being proactive. You know, you got to do something about it. It obligates you. It's not like after it happened, you say, here, here it is. By pointing out these verses and saying they're so relevant for today, that imposes upon us a responsibility to really do something about it. And our failure to drive out the inhabitants of the land, this is the first time it's happened. Even Joshua wasn't able to finish the job and the Jewish people suffered greatly for it that they left a lot of Canaanites in the land. If you look at the book of Judges, the very beginning of it, in the first chapter, towards the end, it gives a list of the tribes who are not able to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Each tribe, of course, had a portion and they were supposed to drive out the Canaanites and they didn't succeed in doing it. I'll just read some of the verses at the end of chapter one in the book of Judges. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beit Shan and its towns. Ephraim 
did not drive out the Canaanites that were dwelling in Gezer. So the Canaanite dwelled in their midst in Gezer. And Zvulun didn't drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. And Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Naphtali didn't drive out the inhabitants of Beit Shemesh, etc., etc. Chapter 1 in the book of Judges gives a list of the tribes who didn't succeed in expelling completely the inhabitants of the land. And boy, did the children of Israel pay a price for that. Because this is what it says right after that, at the beginning of chapter 2 in the book of Judges. And the Shaliach of Hashem, a prophet, comes up from the Gilgal, and he starts rebuking the children of Israel. And he says, why didn't you hearken to my voice? Why did you not chase out before you the inhabitants of the land? I told you that there will be thorns on your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. And so that sets the entire tone for the book of Judges. Because the book of Judges was not a shining era in our history. There was a lot of downside to it. And the major reason was this, because they did not drive out the inhabitants of the land and it became a snare to them, a trap for them, just like the Torah said. So this is a problem that repeats itself. And by the way, maybe this is a good time to plug my shiur. If you want to really know Tanakh, you can listen to my Bible classes. I have a podcast. It's called Lenny Goldberg's Bible Classes. And we talk about stuff like this. We learn the Tanakh straight up, unfiltered. Anyway, it's really frustrating because you have these explicit verses describing how the failure to drive out the inhabitants of the land will lead to tragedy. And yet nobody, including rabbis, make the correlation that this is why Jews are dying in the land of Israel. They'll come up with all kinds of other reasons because we're not sneeze enough. We don't dress modestly enough. We're not religious enough. We speak Lashon That's true. But that's not the reason the Arabs are killing us. The reason that Jews are dying today at the hand of the Arab enemy is simply because we don't drive them out. That's what we have to understand here. Hashem punishes measure for measure. It's a direct correlation. The Arabs are killing us because we're not throwing them out. And let me tell you something, just living here in Tapuach, since 1990, I see the difference, what's going on. You go down to Tapuach Junction, okay? And you just wait for a bus or for a hitch and look at how many Arab cars pass by. I'm telling you, it's 30 to one. 30 Arab cars to one Jewish car. And I see the difference because I was here for 30 years. I remember when it was the other way around. I mean, there were always a lot of Arabs around, but they didn't have so many vehicles. You'd see every once in a while an old jalopy with seven Arabs squished inside it, usually an Arab taxi, something like that. Now it's the other way around. It's 20, 30 to one Arab cars to Jewish cars. Just go on road 60 from Shechem to Jerusalem and you'll see what I mean. So they're overrunning us without even firing a bullet. Their very existence here. If we just go through Derech HaTeva, we just keep things as they are, even without terror, they'll overrun us. You gotta be blind not to see it. Every junction that used to be clear, like in Yakir and Beit El, and all these junctions in Tapuach, today there's traffic jams at every summit, every junction, why? All Arab cars, you see the white license plates, and a couple of yellow license plates, that's the Jewish cars. And that's happening because what the Torah says is gonna happen, the nations you leave will eventually be a snare to you. We ignore this every single time. And we ignore it because, you know, we like to be nice. We like to talk about, we like to talk about Yeshuva Aretz, settling the land. Because that's like, you know, consensus. That's like the Chalutzim. Alino Arza with a Chalutzim. It's politically correct to talk about Yeshuva Aretz. But to talk about Horashat, Hagoyim, to throw out the nations, 
Oh, wait a minute there. That's ethnic cleansing. That's not politically correct. But who said our Torah has to be politically correct? The Torah is in parv. A lot of people want to make it out to be. They want to make it palatable for these modern times as much as they can. Well, sometimes the Torah is just not nice. It deals with ugly subjects and it knows how to deal with problems. And when I say it's not nice, that's not really true because, because it really is the most humane answer. That is expelling the Arabs from here. That's the most humane thing you can do. Because if you just keep things as it is, Jews are going to be killed and Arabs are going to be killed. And they're going to be harassed at checkpoints. And they're going to be beaten. Is that what we want? No, we want separation. We in our country, them in their country, and we'll live happily ever after. You know, when Rabbi Kahana went around trying to warn the Jewish people about the danger of the Arab inside Israel, he rarely brought these verses that I brought today, unless he was speaking to a yeshiva or something like that, but usually speaking to secular Jews, and he used logic. He talked about the contradiction between democracy and Zionism, about the Arab demographics, because that's what most people understand. If you start quoting from the Torah, well, that's good for a certain crowd, those who believe in God or believe in the Torah. That's really the internal and most important reason what the Torah says. But when you're speaking to just, you know, regular Jews who don't believe in God or who are secular and don't go by the Torah, then you got to speak more on a logical, intellectual level. And that's what the rabbi always did. Well before the first Intifada in 1987, the rabbi wrote a book called They Must Go. And the book was translated into Hebrew with the title, Sikim Be'enechem, Thorns in Your Eyes. I'm going to bring a small part of a debate that Rabbi Kahana had with Alan Dershowitz. Professor Alan Dershowitz was asked, well, how do you answer Rabbi Kahana, who says that the Arabs could eventually become a majority and become a majority in the Knesset, and they could outvote the Jewish state and call it Palestine by the rules of democracy? What do you do about that demographic time bomb inside the land of Israel? Let's hear what Alan Dershowitz is going to say, and we'll hear how Rabbi Kahana answers him. The decision will not, by the way, be made by Alan Dershowitz. It will not be made in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It will be made by Israelis who live in Israel, who have elected Israel as their home, whose sons and daughters confront life and death decisions every day. It would be incredibly presumptuous of me to try to tell Israelis what to choose if that conflict occurred. I can only say what David Ben-Gurion's answer was, what Golda Meir's answer was, and what Chaim Weitzman and Theodor Herzl's answer was. The answer was, we must struggle to preserve the Jewish character of the state of Israel. We must encourage Aliyah. We must open the doors of Soviet Jewry and of Syrian Jewry and of Ethiopian Jewry. We must do things to encourage demographic changes that will ensure that Israel remains a Jewish state. We must not accept, under no circumstances must we accept or may we accept, the choice being put to us. The choice about being a Jewish undemocratic state where the minority prevails or a non-Jewish democratic state where the majority prevails. We will not, we must not allow that false dichotomy ever to face us. If and when the time comes, if through all efforts by Israelis there is no other way of resolving the issue, 
It will not be resolved by the rhetoric of Meyer Kahana. It will not be resolved by the answers of Alan Dershowitz. It will be resolved by the people of Israel through the processes which they have elected, through the processes which put Meyer Kahana in the Knesset, through the processes which allow Meyer Kahana to speak freely in Israel, where he would not be able to speak freely in almost every other country in the world. The democratic processes, the liberal processes, the libertarian processes, the freedom processes, the very egalitarian processes that Rabbi Kahana eschews. But mostly, the decision will be made in Israel, by Israelis, under the circumstances that prevail in whatever year this crisis occurs. That was about five minutes of not answering the question. The question was, hypothetically, assuming, would you be prepared, you, as a Jew, and I'm suddenly amazed at the modesty of my opponent. He, of course, has never offered any views about Israel, never, ever. Suddenly, he becomes modest. It is too presumptuous of, of me to offer a view. Offer it, offer it. Because this is not a question of Israel. This is a question of the Jewish state, and you're a Jew, and the Jewish people have a vested interest in that Jewish state. Let's not speak of, the answer is, Aliyah. I see how many Jews are leaving Harvard. It's not a question of, in the immediate future, there is no, I agree with you, tomorrow there will not be a majority of Arabs, nor in two weeks. But the question is, when the Arabs become a quarter of the population of Israel, Israel will have a Northern Ireland on its ends. The Arabs of Israel have, have grown from 11% to 18% to within the state of Israel, despite a huge aliyah of Jews from Arab countries. Today there is no aliyah. The Arab Aliyah has been an internal one, fully, totally. My God, I don't want to wait to see the knife on my throat. The wise person is one who sees tomorrow today. That was Rabbi Kahana wiping the floor with Professor Alan Dershowitz. That's it for me. I'll be back next week, God willing. Same time, same station. Don't forget, tune into my Bible classes. Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. You can Google that. It's a podcast on Spotify and other platforms. It's so important to know the Bible, to study it properly, because that's where the real truth is. Because that's the basis of Judaism. Nothing more basic than the Bible. So make yourself familiar with it. Learn with me at Lenny Goldberg's Bible classes. I'll see you next week.